So this is a, quite a profound reading that we've read tonight, actually. A really profound moment for Peter. Um, but before we uh, get right into that passage, I want to just ask a few questions, or a question, and get you to think. My main question is this. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come in Genesis chapter 4? I have many, many times. Um, you know, Genesis 1 to 3 pretty much has all the ingredients, you know, that, that kind of tell the story of life on earth as humans. You, you've got the creation story. God creates the world. He creates us, humans, in his own image. And then you have the evil one who enters the picture and entices Adam and Eve, uh, to question God and to trust him, which they do. They take his advice, they follow his leadership, they submit to him. And so evil enters the world, you have the fall. But then in this one chapter, you also get the amazing prophetic verse where God says, um, though the serpent or the enemy will strike at humans heals, one day uh, mankind will, will deliver a crushing blow. So you kind of have the whole picture uh, in this, this opening three chapters. But it takes thousands of years before Jesus actually turns up. Have you ever wondered why he didn't come the next day or the next week? I have often wondered about this. Now, I haven't, I don't think I've come up with the perfect answer, but I have some ideas that I want to share with you. Um, I, I wonder if this has something to do with the fact that God knew that we kind of wouldn't be able to understand the gospel until we'd spent some time living without it, until we had actually seen how depraved humans could become, or the world could become. See, Adam and Eve, they didn't understand the consequences of eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't get it. Uh, they didn't know where that would lead. And maybe they and the world and each of us actually needed to see where that choice went uh, before we would understand really how much we needed a saviour. I think this is part of it. I think God also needed to prepare us for a saviour. He needed to help us understand the concept of redemption, what it was about. He needed us to understand good and evil. He needed us to learn that leaving the kingdom of God and stepping into the kingdom of darkness was no small thing. He needed us to understand what slavery was that we could not get out of the kingdom of darkness on our own. He needed to teach us about atonement and sacrifice, as Mickey has shared with us tonight. I think all of this is true. But still, thousands of years before Jesus came, that's a long time. I still wonder sometimes why it needed to take thousands of years. 
is God really slow? Is it, does he take a long time to come up with ideas and, and play things out? Well, actually, I think the thousands of years is more about us than it is about God. So if we look, you know, right back in Genesis, God began reaching out straight away, didn't he? As soon as the fall happened, he began the process of reaching out to humans. He went to Adam and Eve and he called out to them, searching for them, where are you? Because they were hiding. He took that step. He made them clothes. He extended grace. Then in chapter 4, we see he reaches out to Cain before he kills Abel and, and pleads with him, Cain, choose life. Don't choose sin. Choose life. But then even when Cain makes such an awful choice and kills his brother, uh, God extends grace to help Cain deal with the consequences, to meet Cain in his fears as he moves forward. When the world rapidly descended into darkness and terror, God gave us the ark and said, I will offer you a new beginning. And then we get to um, Genesis 12, after humans have started spreading out around the world and, and we can see once again, we as a people were choosing other gods and choosing to make ourselves God, we see he calls Abraham or Abram and he tells Abram, I'm, I'm going to raise up a nation from you. And it was to be a nation of priests to show the world what it can look like to choose God, what is available if we choose to follow his ways. I don't think God was slow. I don't think, uh, you know, God was waiting or taking his time unnecessarily. I, I think the story is more about us because God has always been stepping out and reaching out from beyond heaven into our mess, our world to teach us, lead us, to care for us. God has always been on mission. But there is a powerful, powerful truth that we have to understand. And you will have heard me speak about this before. It's one of my you know, hobby horses, if you like, one of my soapboxes that I like to get up on. The truth is this. We, as humans, have to choose to say yes to God. We have to choose to embrace what he wants for us. We have to choose to embrace life in abundance. And we have to choose to get on board with the mission, with what he is doing in the world, what he wants. See, in his power, in his wisdom, his unstoppableness, he has still chosen to give us free will. And he has not removed that from us. So if we want the kingdom of God to reign in the world, we each have to choose to say yes to the kingdom of God in our own hearts. We have to choose not to be God. We have to choose to say yes uh, to what he is doing. You know, sometimes we're not very good at that. Israel, they watched 
God do the most amazing things. They were in slavery in Egypt, trapped, um, oppressed, being crushed by Pharaoh. And so God invites Moses, sends Moses to go and rescue them. And in this process, God does some of the most amazing, awesome, powerful, even terrifying miracles that display just uh, how totally incomparable he is to anything else. There is no other force, no other God as big as him. And Israel watched this with their own eyes. They saw this. They themselves were scared of God, even though God was clearly on their side. They saw all this. But as they leave Egypt, even knowing who God was, they struggled to say yes to him. Not long after they got out of Egypt, they made for themselves a golden calf. They chose another God. When God said, don't keep any of the plunder when you conquer those cities, some of them didn't trust God. And they kept the plunder for themselves. They later on asked for a king instead of God. They wanted a human king, someone they could whinge to, someone they could touch, someone they could see. Even with all that they had seen, trusting God was hard. It wasn't easy. So this story of thousands and thousands of years is about us. It's about us as humans. It took a long time to raise up this nation of priests to show the world who God was and what life with him could look like because we were slow. Israel slowly, slowly stepped towards God but then took a step back. And then they stepped forwards again and took a step back and so on and so forth it went. It took a long time for God to be able to get them to a point where they were ready to go and make disciples of all nations instead of just being God's nation. So, Jesus, he steps into the world at quite a profound moment in time. I don't know if you've ever realized this or thought about this. But Israel, at the time when Jesus actually came, they were no longer this nice, neat nation with a you know, good border and, and they weren't in control anymore. They had been scattered. The Jewish people now lived right throughout the Roman Empire. They had had to learn to be Jews without actually being a nation anymore. And this is the point in time where Jesus steps into the world and says, actually, God is building his kingdom and it isn't about one nation. We read the words in the New Testament, in the kingdom of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. It wasn't about Israel. God's plans were bigger. This has always been God's plan. Right from when he called Abraham. If we look at this um, uh, passage from Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, or Abram at the time, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go uh, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. 
I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Right from the book of Genesis, God's plan was that all the families on earth would be blessed. So why why was getting there so slow? Why was getting to this point where Jesus uh, could come so slow? I want to suggest that a big part of it is that we as humans struggle to move beyond our comfort zone. We struggle to move beyond our own boundaries, our own experiences, our own rules. Is there anyone here who thinks I'm, I'm wrong on that? I think, think most of us have had experiences where there's something new that we just haven't quite wanted to try. It just wasn't quite safe. And sometimes we miss out on things. And we miss out on things when we say no to God because of that. So in our reading today, there's this profound moment. Peter has a vision. Three times, God says to him, here you go, I'm offering you this uh, selection of animals as food, take and eat. And three times, Peter says, no, God. It's very clear in there, he knows In this vision, it's God who's speaking to him. God is saying, do this. And three times he says, no. And three times God rebukes him and says, hang on, I'm telling you this is okay. Don't tell me it's unclean. I'm actually God, right? You've got that. I'm God. I'm saying this is is good. This is okay. I am giving this to you. No, God, I wouldn't do anything that breaks the Jewish traditions. It's this profound moment. And what's more profound is, I think, you know, God was doing this because he knew that would be Peter's reaction. He knew that Peter would stubbornly cling to these customs, these rules that he had known all his life. God wanted to reach beyond the Jewish family. That was his plan. He was making that happen. And he wanted to use Peter to be a part of this. But he knew that if he was going to get Peter on board, he had to do something to shake him up. He had to make him unsettled. He had to make him uncomfortable and put him in this state of questioning what he believes and what is really important, and where his safety comes from. He had to throw him off balance. And he did this right at the perfect time, just as Cornelius' men were coming to meet him. And so just as he's finished having this vision and he's pondering and going, what was that about? I don't understand. Why would God want me to eat animals that Jews don't eat? And ding dong, there's this knock on the door and God says to him, I want you to go with these people. And so he goes down and he realizes, ah, these guys have been sent from a Gentile family because God wants me to preach the gospel to them. And so God does this, this thing for Peter 
at the same time as doing it with Cornelius because he wanted people to know. But ultimately, God knows we don't like stepping beyond our boundaries. Now, this is Peter, right? He, he has spent three years with Jesus. Hands up if you think, oh, if only I got to spend three years, you know, face to face with Jesus, following him around, watching him, uh, you know, when he was a, a human, listening to him teach, seeing how he interacts, watching him perform all the miracles, you know, uh, an internship with Jesus. Man, if I had that opportunity, I would just be amazing from that point on. Like, I would be It'd iron out all my wrinkles. I would know what it means to be a disciple. I'd get it. Have you ever, you know, kind of gone, if only I had that opportunity. They were so lucky, so blessed. I think what we see here is that, you know, even though Peter had seen Jesus cross social boundaries all the time. I mean, he crossed racial boundaries. He stepped into the world of the Samaritans and blessed them and taught them and served them. That just blew, you know, all the other Jewish teachers' mind. The disciples were like going, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan? He'd seen Jesus do this, right? He'd, he'd seen Jesus touch the sick and the poor, Jesus was a radical, he was revolutionary, he was different. And if that wasn't enough, in the final moments that Jesus was on earth with them, Jesus says to them, go, make disciples of all nations. And yet God knew Peter. God knew This man, even though he had all the theology handed to him, all the teaching, all the example to follow, he couldn't have had anything more. He still needed a push in that moment. Because we all get very good at sitting where we're comfortable. It takes a lot of emotional energy to step over the unknown, to step into things where we're not in control, to step across boundaries where we're unsure of how we'll, we will feel or what it will look like. And I want to say to you, just like Peter, I think each of us will need a push. Not once, not twice, many, many times over. I think last week, um, we preached about the fact that the he- writer to Hebrews says, you know, come together and motivate each other towards acts of love and kindness. Now, you'd think it's a given, right, that we would just do acts of love and kindness. But the writer of the Hebrews says, get together, come together, people, and motivate each other, spur each other on. You're going to need that encouragement. God knew that Peter needed that encouragement And I want to put it to you that in this room, most of us probably need a push. Tonight, tomorrow, again in two weeks' time, a month's time, we are going to need a push if we want to have impact beyond these walls. I want to share a little bit of a a story uh, with you. Um, 
I am a man who needed a push and needs a push and will need more to come. Some years ago, I had this epiphany, this moment, where I looked at my life and realized I have no non-Christian friends. Like, I've just gotten to this place where I've put all of my time into the church. All of my friendships are here in this place. And I looked around and go, oh, my goodness, I don't, I don't have any non-Christian friends that I'm hanging out with anymore. Um, and this really bothered me. It was actually, this was a, a God kind of moment. You know, I, God was putting this on my heart and, and challenging me in this. It's very easy to do as a pastor to spend all your time in the church, right? You, there is not enough time in my life to serve the church. There is always going to be more that I could do, always more visits, more things that I could turn up to, uh, more new ministries that I can help start. There's always more I can do. I don't have enough time just for the church. But here was God. He actually started prompting me and saying to me, actually, ministry in the church and to the church isn't enough. He was calling me to something more. So I didn't really know where to start with that. Um, you know, just hang a sign out the front saying, if you're a non-Christian, I'd like to meet you. Um, I didn't quite know what to do about this. And so um, I decided to pray. Um, it's a great, great catalyst in my life when I finally realized that I don't have all the answers uh, that you know, I don't have all the power and the best plans. When I finally cotton on to that, then I go and pray. Hopefully you guys get to prayer long before that point. But quite often, it's when I run out of myself that I go to Jesus. So I went, I prayed, and I asked God, I said, God, will you help me? Will you help me to meet some new people, some non-Christians, people outside the church? And then when I do, will you help me to know what to do with that? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, God answered these prayers. Um, actually, in reverse almost, um, but he answered these prayers. I got a phone call from a guy by the name of Steve Dixon. He's the uh, director of youth ministries for the Baptist Association, New South Wales ACT. Good guy. Um, he calls me up. Uh, was probably only a few days later after I had a fairly significant prayer time, but he calls me up and he says, Andrew, I'm trying to get together five people from across our New South Wales ACT Baptist churches. Uh, we have this, this opportunity to go and do a two-year learning journey with a group called 3DM. And it's all about learning how to make disciples of people who aren't in the church and how to go on mission." And I was like, before he'd finished speaking, I'm like, I'm in. And he's like, well, hang on, you know, it's not going to be easy and there's some details and you'll have to, it'll cost you. And like, I don't care, I'm in. Um, it was just that thing, I knew this is an answer to prayer, I can't not do this. So I went and did that. Well, part, partly into this journey, it was only a, a couple of months later, I think, uh, our senior youth ministry started to um, collect, gather a whole bunch of non-church youth. New people started coming along. And, you know, Mandy had started as chaplain at Hawker College, but there was also a group of mosaic young people um, who were going there as well. And, and it all just kind of happened. 
Um, and so all of a sudden, I found myself with a whole bunch of, of non-Christian people uh, coming to youth group, but then a number of them saying, oh, can we, can we hang out beyond that? You know, can I come over and, you know, just help you around the house? Can I do stuff? So these are people at times who were saying, I don't, I don't care for God. I don't like God. And they were quite strong on that at points. But they said, but I love hanging out with you. And so I prayed and these things started happening. A little while down the track as, you know, the relationships developed and, and um, you know, people got a little bit older, we found other ways to meet. Um, one of those things that um, uh, that happened, um, I started a group called Bible Beers. And um, we, we started hanging out once a week um, and just reading some scripture and um, just hanging out and being social together. And so, you know, there were... Uh, two people who regularly came, who had claimed to be atheists when we first met them. And, um, and here we were, sitting and reading the Bible every week, asking questions like, what does this say about God? Um, what does this say about the world that we live in? And is there something that we could learn from this story, this passage? Pretty simple. It's not rocket science. Um, but we were just having these basic gatherings. One of those people who started coming along is now a follower of Jesus, which is really exciting. Another one, I don't think they've formally made that statement, like, you know, landed in that box wholeheartedly, but they've certainly uh, made statements like, I, I think I'm almost a Christian, which is a long way from how they first described God um, in words that I won't um, repeat here. Another young guy um, whose family was actually a part of this church when I was a kid, um, but but the family has drifted away, is now a part of that group every week and and reconnecting with Jesus. And in the midst of the craziness of the season that has just happened at Mosaic, where I have actually had to step back from that group uh, just for my own capacity and health, this group is still meeting every week, still reading scripture together, um, and it's just gold. I now find myself in a position where I need another push. Um, Once again, I have let the church take a lot of my time, a lot of my life, um, and that's been right in this season. It's needed to happen. Um, But I'm back in that place where I don't spend a lot of time with non-Christians. I just noticed, just this week, it twigged to me, there are parents of my kids' school friends who want to hang out. Um, They want to go motorbike riding with me. Um, They want to come and help me lay a whole new floor in my house. They want to give me their staff discount and show me how to do it. There are people who want to spend time with me. This is not something that I have had to work really hard for. I've just had to notice it, that it's there. And now I actually have to work out what I do with that. So I, I am a person who needs a push. And I just wonder, am I alone here in this room? Or might there be others who 
who can read through the scriptures and see what Peter sees, that you know, God from the book of Genesis all the way through is passionate about going on mission in this world. Absolutely passionate. Keeps pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us and raising up people to go and make disciples. We all know the theory, right? We've all heard it. But I wonder, are we people who get comfortable, people who sit in our normal rhythms, choose the things that are easy to choose, the people that are easy to choose, the relationships that we don't have to do a lot in, um, perhaps, the ones that are fun and easy. We fill our lives up with so much at times that we get so busy. The, even the idea of going on mission, starting a new group, starting a, a new breakfast, whatever it may be, becomes really hard. And so I want to close tonight actually by inviting you guys to ask the question, do you need a push? And I want to put it to you as individuals. Um, I'm talking to the whole room, but, but with these questions, I actually want you to sit with them personally. Um, you know, we have great ministries at Mosaic, you know, creative leisure. Um, this room fills up twice a week with people who mostly aren't from the church. Busy bees, a few times a week. Uh, young mums and dads from the community, they're not, most of them are not from the church. We have ministries, the cafe, games night, soccer, men's sheds. There are corporate opportunities if we want to you know, sign up and step into them. Um, and maybe there's new ministries yet to be started, but, but I actually just want us to sit with this question individually, not to think what is mosaic doing, or what is the church doing, but what is my call? And what does God want to say to me? So I have two questions, and if we can put them up on the board, they're pretty complicated. First one, I want to invite you this week for homework um, to pray. Ask God to show you who he wants you to make time for. Take time to pray and ask him. Say, God, put some people on my heart. What, what do you want from me? And if that's people inside the church, run with that. But if there are people beyond these walls that God places on your heart, notice it. Who in your life may you be the person that shares the gospel with them? May you be the Bible that they read? Ask that question. And then ask God, well, how? What do I do here? I would say ask him to show you who can go with you. That's a really big one. Um, one of the things that 3DM uh, taught me that is just a simple little thing but quite profound in the end is that Jesus never asked anyone to go alone. Whenever he sends people out on mission or to do a task, he always sent them in twos or more. So I encourage you, as you think about this, find someone who will carry the burden with you, who will get excited with you, who will 
in your moments of fear and discouragement actually spur you on and encourage you and, and you do the same for them. Um, make it safe. Make it fun. It doesn't have to be this hard, awkward um, thing to reach out to other people. Now, I don't think there's ever been a time where someone has been kind to me or invited me to spend time with them. Um, said, hey, do you want to hang out, grab a coffee? Do you want to go for a walk, whatever? Um, I don't think I've ever reacted to that with, oh, wow, get away from me, you weirdo. Like, we love it when people uh, want to spend time with us and, and be our friend and show up for us. We don't have to make it something really awkward. But I would say, find someone who might go with you, who has a similar interest or knows the person that is on your heart with you. I want to say this journey starts with prayer um, because we're joining in with God's work. And if I can come back to Acts chapter 10 here. Cornelius was praying. Cornelius had a vision. And, and God said, I want you to go find this person, Peter. Well, Peter had a vision. Um, and God said to Peter, I, I want you to go to this person, Cornelius. And this whole story happens, and, and I think... Um, you know, pretty much all of Cornelius's household end up um, becoming followers of Jesus. It was God's work. It was God's plan. God did it. He started it. Um, but he still chooses to use us. So all I'm asking of you tonight, if we really believe that going on mission, having impact beyond these walls is the heart of the church, is core to what Jesus is building and doing. Will you be bold enough to pray these prayers earnestly? Ask God, who am I reaching? Who do you want to call me to? Let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you over and over and over again, that you keep reaching out to me, that you keep reaching out to each one of us in this room. We have not reached perfection. We haven't reached a place where we deserve you uh, to come and pursue us, and yet you do. You keep seeking us. You keep opening your arms to us. You want uh, to bless us, to love us, to serve us to minister to us. And God, we look all through scriptures and see that it's not just us, it's not just these special few that you care about. You want all families on earth to be blessed. God, you want all people to be able to step in to this relationship of love and grace and peace. This relationship where you say to us, you are valuable because I value you. Not because of what you've done, but just because you are mine and I love you. God, will you help us to become passionate about sharing that with others? Holy Spirit, come and move in this place tonight and in our week as we go forwards. I really want to pray that you stir up within us an excitement 
that we can't control, we can't contain, a bubbling within our guts and our, our soul that just makes us buzz because we, we are filled with your love and your encouragement to go and to meet others. God, will you make us hungry, eager to join in with what you want to do?